Good morning, Southwinds. It's great to see you as always. I'm going to welcome you to week number four of our series, Rediscover Church, a people, not a place. And our scripture text today is found in the book of Hebrews toward the end of your New Testament, chapter 10. It's going to be verses 19 to 25. And so uh, you'll want to go ahead and get your Bibles open or turned on, uh, as it may be. And we are learning together in these weeks about what it means to be the church, God's people, God's family. And today, we're going to be talking about faithful gathering. Faithful gathering. Gathering is what we are doing right now. We are the church. We are God's people gathered for the worship of the one true, the only living God. Gathering is what we do whenever we meet in our life groups. It's what we do when we meet in Bible studies or on Friday nights in Celebrate Recovery or in any of our care groups throughout the week. Gathering is what God's people do when they come together, when they come for teaching, for singing, when they come for fellowship and for encouragement and for service. And when God's people, Christ followers, gather God promises to be present in a way that he's not when we're by ourselves. I believe with all my heart that the reality of God's presence in the midst of God's people gathered will become more and more and more and more crucial to all of us in the days ahead. And I mention that for a couple reasons. One of them is that it was crucial for the people who first read the words we're going to study. Some background on our passage. Hebrews, if you don't know about this, Hebrews is actually a sermon written as a letter to a small house church of Jewish Christ followers who were living in urban Rome, which was a city, just a massive city that day, over a million people, probably written in about the year 64 A.D., The author loves these people, and he's concerned for these people because they are thinking about walking away from Jesus. You see, they had earlier come to Christ, and they had received salvation. They had received the forgiveness of their sins with great joy, but then things got hard. Now they were facing persecution for their faith. Now their beliefs did not line up with the culture around them. Sometimes they found themselves thinking, God's word teaches that. I don't know anybody who believes that. They were losing jobs. They were losing their homes. Some of them were gonna be put to death. They watched friends around them who were departing the the faith and they were also just facing life's normal daily temptations and they found themselves thinking what some of you have thought. Following Jesus was supposed to be a lot easier. And so they were tempted to return to what for them was religious safety back to Judaism. And I think there are some of you right here who would say, right now, you know what that's like, right? If you're honest, you would admit that you're struggling with your faith. You you thought that when you accepted Jesus, all your problems would go away. You thought you would find and you'd keep a good job, you'd be at least somewhat reasonably healthy. Your family, your relationship issues, they would all get worked out. But some of you, you're still single, 
and you don't understand why God hasn't provided you with a spouse. Some of you, you have a spouse, and well, you'd like to talk to those people who are single and don't have one and want one, because you'd be happy to give them yours. No questions asked, no money down, no credit checks, just take them, right? For some of you, temptations are growing stronger, not weaker. You're finding it harder and harder to walk with God. Maybe, maybe it's that you're, you're lonely, and you thought you'd become part of a church family, and you would find friendship and community and fellowship, but that hasn't happened, and it's hard to feel close to God when you're lonely. Maybe you're in pain. It may be physical pain and you wonder why God isn't healing you. It may be emotional pain and you wonder why God won't take the pain away. It's hard to feel spiritual when you're in pain. Maybe it's just the pressure of living in a culture that rejects what God's word teaches and and what you believe, a, a culture that grows increasingly hostile to your faith every day. And that's what Hebrews, this whole book, is all about. And in this book, just for the context of the whole book, the writer has one basic message he's telling this little group of people, so small in such a huge city, he's telling them, hold on. He's telling them, Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than any other offer you will ever receive. He's better than any temptation you will face. He is better than any pleasure this world may tempt you with. He's better than anyone, anything, anywhere, at any time. So hold on. Stay the course. And here's where we're headed today. The way we hold on, the way we stay the course is together together. We do it with God's people. And that's what I want you to be thinking about as we read this text, which is the word of God that is for us today. Go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. The author writes these words, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people say, amen, amen. Now, someone has called this passage the produce section of the Bible because of all the let us. Let us, let us, let us. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, 
And you may notice, depending on your translation, that there are more, there are at least three commands in the English text. There's actually just three commands in the Greek text. Translating those commands, some English versions make there be four or five, depending on how they want to translate it. But there are three commands that say, let us, and then do something. And these commands, these three commands, they tell us three things that faithful gathering does in our lives. These, these three things, they show us how, as, as God's people, the church, we can hold on, how we can persevere and stand fast, how we can do that even when the world is standing against us, even when our lives are, are hard, how we can live with confidence and with hope. And what I want you to see today is this. Again, the, the way we hold on, the way we stand fast is together. Just say together with me. Would you say together, together, <laughs> together? The way we do this is together. God wants his people to gather. He wants his people to gather faithfully. He, he calls us to make gathering with other Christ followers a top priority in our lives. Not as it is for a lot of us, a casual option or a nice add-on to our weekly schedules. He says that faithful gathering is indispensable to our strength and to our joy. I don't think we often really stop to consider what the Bible tells us is going on as we gather, like right now. You see, the Bible makes it clear that there is more going on than meets the eye when God's people gather. You might later on turn in this book of Hebrews a page or two to chapter 12 toward the end of that chapter, verses 22 to 24. And this is what the writer says. He says to these people, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, there's a lot you can probably tell going on in those verses, but one of the things the author is saying is this. As God's people gather, we have access to this invisible spiritual realm, the heavenly Jerusalem, through Jesus our Savior. We are participating as we gather right now in this great assembly of saints and angels, all the saints who have come before, who have died in faith, all the saints who are now living, all the saints who will one day come and live and die. We are gathering together and participating in that assembly. It's what we talked about in our creed series recently. It's the communion of saints. And we are part of that. We're, we're part of that right now. We're, we're, we're part of the people of God and so anytime we gather, we should gather with the recognition that our gatherings are always more than we might see. They're always meant to be a little foretaste of the greater gathering that is to come. And so the people who first read these words, received this letter, they were forgetting that. And they were being tempted, as some of us even are today, to drift away and to not persevere in faith and to lose sight of the hope of the gospel and thus to be carried off by the deceitfulness of sin. 
And there were at least three reasons why this was happening. You should listen to these very carefully because they are so common today. Some of you are experiencing them right now. Three reasons why they were being tempted to drift away. And the main reason was the threat of persecution. This is why the writer says things at the end of the letter, chapter 13, like this. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. See, they were facing the threat of persecution. This threat was behind the second reason. Some of them were being tempted to revert to Judaism, which was a faith that the Roman Empire actually permitted. It was a legal religion. Christianity was not. And at its heart, this was the allure of safety. They didn't want to suffer for their faith in Jesus, so they were looking maybe to find an easy way out. And this is why throughout this book of Hebrews, there's this focus on the superiority of Jesus, that Jesus is greater and Jesus is better than any priest, any religion, anything. And so the author is saying, don't drift away. Jesus is better than safety. And I'm convinced some of you are here today to hear that word. Jesus is better than safety. There's a, a third problem they were facing, and it was just apathy and sluggishness. There's a lot of verses throughout this book of Hebrews encouraging God's people to avoid a spirit of apathy. Hebrews 3.12 says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. And when you take these things and you put them all together, you see why they were being tempted to neglect the gathering of the church. It was a lot easier not to gather. It was a lot safer not to gather Gathering for them increased the likelihood of persecution just like it does today. For many of our brothers and sisters around the world, they're being persecuted right now, today. Now, I want you to hear those things and think how similar it is for us today. Now, I would not say that we are truly facing persecution in America today, at least not most of us, at least not yet. But I would say there's pressure that's mounting I would say it's getting harder to faithfully proclaim the truth, to faithfully follow Christ. And at the same time, we are living in a time of great luxury. And even though we think it's hard, I mean, you know, some of us think it's so hard, the world's coming to an end, and I hate it too, that we have to pay $6 a gallon for gas. Like, do you have enough to eat? See, the truth of the matter is, I mean, can we be honest? We all have too much to eat, right? We have so much. We're endlessly entertained. That's not a good thing, by the way. It's just the truth. We are endlessly entertained. We, we live in this time of great luxury, and as a result of all of this, our lives are full of distractions, and those distractions so easily can lead to apathy, and everyone on top of this, everyone and everything is telling us we need to be safe, and so we're tempted by safety, and all of those things, you just put them together, they tempt us to drift. They tempt us to drift. And that's what is going on in this book of Hebrews, and we especially see it in this passage. And you know, if you want to know the structure of this book, our 
our passage today is like the hinge in this book. In 10 and a half chapters leading up to this, the author's been laying the stage out, setting things out, telling them about Jesus, all that Jesus has done. And then verse 19, which starts what we read, begins with that word, therefore. And so it's referring back to everything he's already said. Therefore, he's saying in verse 19, since all of these things are true, everything in 10 and a half chapters before, what I've been telling you, he said, therefore, here's the so what. Here's what you're to do in light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus has done. And again, it's very crucial if you're studying this passage, you should mark somehow that brings it to your mind. There's a corporate nature to this. It says, let us, let us, let us. It doesn't say let me or let you. It says let us. They are all together, meeting together, encouraging uh, one another together, stirring up one another together. And they're doing this because Jesus is God's son. They're they're doing this because Jesus has dealt with our sin problem once and for all. He's sacrificed. They're, They're doing this, the author is saying, because Jesus is coming again. And he says, in light of all that, we're to draw near. We're to hold unswervingly to our confession and profession. We're to encourage one another. And we do all that as we faithfully gather There's one more thing I want to just kind of give you as a little bit of a nugget here, something you can kind of think about, maybe talk about in your life group. But maybe you notice this, this holy triad in these three truths, truths, this holy triad of faith and hope and love. Did you see that? We draw near with full assurance of faith. We hold unswervingly our profession of hope and we stir one another up to love. And these are things we are to give our lives to. And there are also things that as we give our lives to them, they do some things in our lives. Faithful gathering does three things in our lives. I want you to see with the rest of our time. And I hope it will encourage each of us to be more faithful in our our gathering. Number one, faithful gathering strengthens our confidence to draw near to God. Now, we we see this in verses 19 through 22, and we're gonna spend uh, more of our time in this passage. It's the, you know, half half of the passage, so we're gonna be here a little bit longer. But I've already mentioned this word, therefore. It points back to the first 10 and a half chapters that the the writer is summarizing what Jesus has done, and he's telling them how what Jesus had done should change their lives. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, amen, let us draw near to God. Now, he tells us that Jesus has done two massive things for us. First, Jesus has given us access to God's presence, to the holy place. We have confidence to enter God's presence. Hear me, not because of who we are and what we've done. We have confidence only because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We enter only by the blood of Jesus and his perfect once and for all sacrifice. It's because Jesus once said on that cross, remember, it is finished. Because of that, he's opened up a way for us to approach God in worship. Maybe you remember what it was like in the Old Testament. Back then, only the high priest 
could enter the very presence of God in the holy place and only once a year. And back during that time, no one who believed in God would have been bold enough to enter the holy of holies. Why? Well, because you get burned up. (laughs) A couple people tried it. It didn't work out so well. See, apart from Jesus, God's presence incinerates us. He is holy and we are not. And so the only way we have access to God and enjoy fellowship with God is that Jesus, who is our priest, offered himself up as the ultimate sacrifice for us, opening the way to God. And so we draw near. We draw near with confidence. And we do this, not just when we had a great quiet time and we had a good day yesterday. We do this every day. See, if we are actually in Christ, then we have confidence, are you listening? Not based on our performance, but based on his, based on what he has done. And what this means, we really talked about this in our gospel series as well. It means when you lack confidence in worship, you go back to the gospel You you go back and you remind yourself, it's not what I have done, it's what Jesus has done. That's why the author says earlier, Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Some of you need to hear this right today, right now. There is nothing, are you listening? There is nothing preventing you from drawing near to God. Nothing. Jesus has opened the way. And it's an enormous privilege we have, right? This should just blow us away. I mean, you should be asking yourself, I should be asking myself, what are we, what are we doing in the presence of God? We have no business being here. Amen? No business. Um, there, there's a scene, some of you know this, in that um, profoundly theological movie came out last year, Fast and Furious 9. Um, been waiting to say that all week. Um, and, and these movies, you know, they're so ridiculous, right? And nobody's gonna say anything because they don't wanna admit they've watched any of them. And I haven't watched any of them. I just have people told me about them. So that's how I'm sharing this with you. Uh, but you know, you watch them, there's this scene after scene after scene, and you're like, that can happen. That, that can happen. It could never happen. I mean, they just keep making more ridiculous movies, and we keep watching them, right? And in this last one, they like, I think, really jumped the shark. They, they went to space in a souped-up Pontiac Fiero, right? If you ever had a Fiero, you know how utterly ridiculous that is. They attach a rocket to a Pontiac Fiero in Tej and Roman. They go to space, and they're up there in their spacesuits. You see the duct tape in their spacesuits? You know, it's just ridiculous. And they, they go up there, and they're in space, and they're just blown away. They're, they're, they're blown away, and they're, they're, they're marveling. And it's this kind of amazing scene. They're just marveling. They're like, what are we doing here? How do we get here? That's Hebrews 4.16. What, what are we doing in God's presence? How can we draw near? I mean, you have a better chance today of going to space than you of going to the holy place on your own. In fact, if you have enough money today, you can go to space, right? We, we've seen it several times, but the only way we go to the holy place is we draw near to God through Jesus. 
He has given us access. He's opened it up. It's a new and living way. It's new because it didn't happen. You know, it's past and moving beyond the old covenant. It's alive because Jesus is alive. We worship the living God. He has made us alive. Jesus has opened this this new and living way. He's done it through his flesh, through his sacrifice. We now can draw near to God because he's given us access. Second, in Jesus we have an advocate in God's presence. Not only access to God's presence, but we have an advocate in God's presence. In verse 21, the writer calls Jesus our great high priest, and this is a central theme, again, throughout this book. And one of the things the high priest does for us, and we talked about this recently, is he intercedes for us. I mean, it is enough, isn't it, that Jesus sacrifices life for us? But he does more. He continues to work for us by interceding for us. He prays for us. He is on our side. Hebrews 7.25 says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen. Amen. The writer says, God is accessible because Jesus has opened the way. And not only that, Jesus is there advocating for us. So let's draw near with confidence. Are you drawing near to God with confidence? I think the most important commitment that you can make as a Christ follower is just to draw near to God every day, to live every day in his presence. Because friends, everything you lack, everything you lack in yourself is available to you in Christ. Everything I need, I can find in him. Whether it's power or wisdom or protection or satisfaction or joy, it's all found in in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And some of us need to learn there is no better place to be than in God's presence. Back in 1646, when the Puritans wrote what we know as the Westminster Confession, they asked this question, what is the chief end of man? And their answer is the chief end of man, which is their way of saying what's our purpose, our, our purpose for being here, the reason we exist. They said that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you glorifying God Are you enjoying God? That's what God made you for. And I wanna point something out at this point because I understand what, this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. See, we, we know, I think, that the best place to be is at the same time the hardest place for us to come continually. I mean, isn't that true? Why do we struggle with this? when Jesus has done all this for us. And I think the, the main ris- reason is we still feel, uh, fear God's rejection. We fear God's frown. We know our sin, we're ashamed. And because of our shame, we're afraid to get too close to God. But that's why, that's why the writer says in verse 22, hear it again, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. In other words, it is my faith 
that draws me into God's presence, my faith that Christ has made me righteous and holy and blameless, that in Christ I am totally acceptable to God and that any time that I enter God's presence, God will greet me with a smile. He's my father. I'm his child. He is glad I'm here. Does ever occur to you when you talk to God, God's glad to hear from you. See, a lot of you don't think that a lot of us think that God just kind of puts up with us. But that's not what God's word says. We are his beloved children. And again, you need to understand, this is not about how good we are. My faith is not in myself. I don't draw near to God, again, because I had a good quiet time yesterday because I was a good boy. And therefore, God isn't mad at me today. No, my faith is in Christ always that his death was sufficient, that he paid for all of my sins and that God has not only forgiven my sins, he's forgotten them. And so I can draw near to him. The author continues, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And if you read back in chapter nine, the author said that when Moses inaugurated the, the first covenant on Mount Sinai. He sprinkled the blood of the sacrificed animals on the people, and it was a, a picture of God cleansing them from their sin. And he's saying what the law could only picture, God has now done. He has sprinkled Christ's blood on our hearts to cleanse our conscience, and so I can have a clear conscience today before God, not because I live a sinless life, which I don't, which I won't, never until I die and I'm in God's presence, amen? I, I can live that way because of Christ's blood. Verse 22 continues, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Christ's blood makes us clean inside. This probably is a reference to baptism, this picture of God washing and cleansing us once and for all. And it's just telling us, don't be hesitant to come into God's presence because you're ashamed, because you feel sinful, because you feel worthy. You look to Jesus, you trust what Jesus has done, that he has made you worthy because he is worthy, that he has made you clean because he is holy, that he has made you righteous because he is righteous, and therefore you are always welcome in the presence of God. You're welcome on your good days, and you're welcome on your bad days. You're always welcome now again, here's what I, I don't want you to miss today, the reality of everything I've just been saying to you. It grows stronger when we gather. You're gonna find it harder to live in this truth that we've just been talking about if you try to do it by yourself. Do you get it? You're gonna find it easier and your faith is gonna grow stronger and you're gonna be able to live in this reality more and more and more as you gather with God's people. Gathering strengthens our confidence. See, it works like this. When we are drawing near to God with other people who are also drawing near, it builds and it deepens and it strengthens our confidence to draw near even more. It empowers us to draw near even more even when we don't think we can. So draw near, don't drift away. <laughs> and honestly, that's the choice Hebrews sets before us. Drift away or draw near, which one are you gonna do? Drift away or draw near. Don't drift away, he says, draw near. 
and draw near by the means that God has given us. Scripture, prayer, fellowship, gathering with God's people. So what does faithful gathering do in our lives? Well, it helps us to draw near to God. Secondly, it builds our hope in God's promises. Verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I have a quick question for you, okay? Are you ready? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Which one? Um, you're probably sitting next to the other one, right? Um, as my pessimist friends would ask this question, are you an optimist or a realist? That's how they look at it. Is the glass for you half empty or is it half full? Do you see problems you know, as a, a situation, first of all, as problems or as, as possibilities. And, and, and I, I kind of think this is something that seems to be sort of wired into us. We have a bit one way or the other, uh, optimist or pessimist. It's kind of like our DNA seems to go this way or go that way. But I want to say this, whoever you are by personality, as a Christ follower, you must learn to choose daily to live by faith and that means you need to be a biblical optimist. And God gives us hope for that because he makes promises. And God always keeps his promises and therefore we have hope. So this is what the author's talking about. He, he urges his readers to persevere in hope and he says we profess that we have a hope and our hope is in Jesus so we hold on to Jesus and we do that unswervingly and that word means stable and steadfast. See, what I want you to see is that hope is what gives us motivation when life is hard to keep going, to persevere. Because we may be suffering right now and some of you are. We, we may face opposition and persecution for our faith right now. Maybe some of you are, but friends, I'm telling you, the glory of God awaits us. And so let us hold unswervingly to our profession of hope. Now, just to be clear, uh, we use hope in a different way. Hope doesn't mean what we usually mean when we say, I hope. You know, we say stuff like, I hope the weather is good tomorrow. Some of you are thinking right now already. You know, it's not even hardly 10 o'clock and you're already thinking about lunch. I hope I'll have something good to eat for lunch. No, in the Bible, hope is a confidence, a settled certainty because we know that the one who promises is faithful. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful and he will make sure that our hope does not disappoint. And so we do not give up on our confession. There's something that's very crucial for you to understand in the context of this, of this letter. What this author is talking about must be public. He's not just talking about what's going on up here in your head, in your mind. It's public. He's talking about a profession. You make profession before other people publicly. And he's, he means that because he's talking about the threat of persecution they, they face. He's saying, don't be ashamed to boldly profess your faith in Jesus. And we may find ourselves in some unfriendly surroundings, but we must never shrink back from telling the world, I belong to Jesus. Is there anybody you need to tell this week, I belong to Jesus? You just need to let them know. 
Is there anybody at all? I, I love the writer of Hebrews says earlier that Jesus was not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters and therefore we should never be ashamed to call him our Lord and Savior. I want to have a word for you students. You know, we have students in junior high and high school in with us in our services and I just want to say this. I mean, I know that it's hard, hard for you to live for Jesus in the space you find yourselves. And I know, I know when you're there that anyone, anyone can cave into temptation sometimes, not boldly confess the name of Jesus. And you're gonna have friends that want you to do things that you know do not align with the word of God. And there are gonna be temptations for you to cave into peer pressure. And you may be the only one standing But I want to say to you, hold fast to your profession of hope. Do it without wavering and realize today that a little temporary mockery right now, maybe some ridicule, maybe the loss of some friendship, some alienation, realize that one day those things will be seen as light and momentary in light of the glory that God has promised to all who are faithful. See, when we have that hope, We can face the pain, we can face the ridicule, we can face whatever the world brings at us because we know who we follow. We know the hope that is ours and our hope is real hope. This writer, I love how he he just keeps talking about hope in Hebrews. God is bringing many sons to glory, he says. He says, we're partakers of a heavenly calling. He says, we are eagerly awaiting Christ's return. We seek the city that is to come. And you see, that's our hope, and our hope is rooted in the fact that God makes promises, and God is always faithful. God always keeps his promises. I love Joshua 21, 45. It says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And every promise that God makes to you will prove true. Every word of God is the truth. And that gives us hope. And we can hold fast to our confession Hebrews 11, 11 says, by faith Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. God's faithful. And so let us together remind each other, remind each other of the promises of God and let that encourage us that our God is trustworthy and we can follow him because he's faithful. I love the end of Hebrews chapter 10, just a few verses past where we're studying. The writer says this, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That was persecution. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I wonder if anybody today needs to be reminded that whatever kinds of possessions we have in this life and whatever things we own or we think we own that are important to us, they pale in comparison to the better possession that awaits us. So don't get too wrapped up in stuff. We are the people who seek the city that is to come. 
So again, set your hope on God's promises. And again, don't miss this. Gathering faithfully with God's people builds our hope in God's promises. You may lose hope by yourself, but gather and you can regain hope. Third thing that faithful gathering does, it encourages our love and our obedience. This is the third let us command. It's all about faithful gathering, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Maybe we could put it like this. Christianity is a team sport. There are no solo Christians. And just as your body has no spare parts, the body of Christ has no spare parts. Paul says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, that the eye cannot say to the hand and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. See, we are designed in such a way that we all need each other. We all need each other. Look around. I mean, there's some people in this room, you're, got, you're thinking, I don't know if I need that. But you do. If they're your brother, your sister in Christ, you need them. They need you. We all need each other. Somebody say amen. We need each other. And that's why the apostle John says this in his first letter. This is 1 John 4.20. He says, you cannot separate your commitment to Christ from your commitment to Christ's people. You can't. You cannot have a great relationship with Jesus and not have a great relationship with Jesus' followers. John says, if you do not love your brother whom you can see, how can you love God who you cannot see? That goes together. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us consider, let us think about how we can spur one another on or provoke, some translations say, to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together because that's where that happens. And, and as I told you earlier, some of these people had stopped gathering with God's people because they were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of identifying themselves. Maybe you have other reasons than that. Let's keep gathering because that's where we find the encouragement. And he says, all the more as the day of Christ approaches. There's a day that's coming when Christ will wrap everything up and we will all stand before his seat of judgment and he will, he will meet out judgment for who, who we are and how we've lived our lives, if we've trusted in him or not. We need to keep following faithfully and gathering faithfully is a part of that. You know, one of the things that I have a privilege of as being your pastors, I get to regularly hear stories here at Southwinds about, about how our, our life groups have walked with people through marital and health problems, through divorce, through all kinds of challenges in life. And I've had so many of you say to me across these years, I would have never made it without my life group. Is that your testimony? Some of you need a group and you need a group now because God designed you to live in community and Jesus' power flows through community. Remember when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am. You see, your, your Christian brothers and sisters are like the closest thing you can get to Jesus when you're with them. He lives in them. He lives in you. When you gather, he draws you closer. He speaks through them. He speaks through you. We, we just need each other. 
And again, don't forget what's going on in Hebrews. This writer here has this sense of danger. He is saying, and some of you need to hear this, it is a dangerous habit to neglect the faithful gathering of God's people. You know, um, the subject of apostasy, which is falling away from faith, is frequently mentioned in Hebrews. A couple of the most difficult, most challenging passages in the New Testament are found in this book. And and they're about this issue of apostasy. And, And there were people, evidently, who had professed faith, but evidently it was not real faith. They eventually drifted away from God. And the author of Hebrews is talking about that. And it's always been true that one of the early signs of people drifting away is the neglect of gathering faithfully. One uh, New Testament scholar who's written one of the foremost books on this um, letter of Hebrews, his name is William Lane, he writes, the writer regarded the desertion of the communal meetings as utterly serious. It threatened the corporate life of the congregation and almost certainly was a prelude to apostasy. You know, we're living in a time right now, you probably know about it, you read about it in many places, that people are walking away from Christianity, they're deconstructing, they're rejecting their former faith. Uh, Many surveys say the fastest growing religious group in America are unchurched Christians, you know? There's all kinds of people who, who say they believe in Christ, but they don't bother to be connected to Christ's body. And, uh, I don't really know, I don't think we really know how many people are in that place. But I do know this, if someone says they're part of Christ but they're not a part of his body, I do know this, they are committing spiritual suicide. You cannot be a healthy Christian on your own. And it may even be that some of you right now are kind of like poisoning yourself spiritually, whether you will admit it or not. You used to, to share faithfully in the life of this community, and now, now you kind of don't. You're here maybe sometimes, not others. Here and there you gather. And some of us, some of us may even kind of congratulate ourselves that we live in freedom. We're not legalists. I don't have to be at church every Sunday. Well, I never said that. You used to be part of a life group, not anymore. And, and, you know, whenever you talk to people who are kind of in this place, they always have reasons. But I think if that's you, you need to face the fact that at the bottom, most likely what we're talking about is just disobedience. You're rejecting what God says. You don't really have reasons. You have excuses. And so that means it's time to repent, it's time to obey. It's time to listen to the words of Hebrews that follow this text that we've been reading, verses 26 to 31. I'm not gonna read them uh, right now, but you should read them. There would be a good passage to maybe work on in, in your life groups this week because they warn us about the danger of drifting. And so I just wanna say to you, don't isolate yourself if this is you. Gather faithfully And if you know someone who's doing this, exhort them, love them by encouraging them to gather again. Get in a life group where you can be encouraged, where you can encourage others. Make gathering on Sunday a priority. And this is not legalism, okay? If you wonder, I'm not keeping score. Nobody's keeping score like how many Sundays a year you're here. We don't give out stickers if you achieve a certain level, badges or something like that. That's not what it's about, See, it's about making it a priority. It's about being faithful. Uh, And I think we all know when we're making gathering God's 
people a priority and when we're not. I think we all know when we're allowing our busyness or our leisure, you know, or our hobbies to just keep us away. See, faithfully gather with God's people and you're gonna be blessed. You're gonna be encouraged. You're gonna be strengthened. Yes, you're gonna be annoyed sometimes, okay? Because you're gathering with people who are broken and have sin in their lives. But guess what? Always remind yourself when somebody annoys you, you're also very annoying <laughs> many times. You annoy me, Southwinds, many times, but I still love you, and I'm sure I annoy you. Maybe I've annoyed you today. Too bad. God says you have to forgive me. <laughs> we annoy each other. It's hard to live with sinful people, but it's the best way to live, to live with people who know their brokenness, who know their sin, but are searching after, seeking after God. That's where we find life that's where we find truth. That's where we find strength. That's where we find hope. That's where we find joy. With God's people, faithfully gather. It's the place we access his blessings. Uh, a few years ago, I, I read this story about a guy named Ray Smith. He was from a town in England called Grimsby, and he proposed to his girlfriend, Claire, 150 times. Now, Ray spent five months proposing and he did it over and over again without her ever noticing. He did it by taking these pictures. Most of them were selfies that had the words in there somewhere, will you marry me? But she just never noticed. She never noticed until he put a slideshow together on Christmas morning that had all the pictures in it. I think that story's kind of funny because usually it's the guy who's like clueless, right? Um, here's what I wanna say to you. God has been sending you messages and he's sending you a message today and he's calling you, he's calling you to draw near. He's calling you to hold on to his promises. He's calling you to gather with his people. Are you gonna notice? And are you gonna respond? See, faithful gathering, faithful gathering with God's people, it always will strengthen our confidence to draw near to God and build our hope in God's promises and it'll encourage, encourage our, our love and obedience. So, Southwinds, let's faithfully gather. Let's encourage others, maybe who aren't here to hear this, to faithfully gather. And as we do that, I believe we will rediscover church, what it's really and truly all about. This is God's word for us today. All of God's people say amen. And may we bow our heads and may we pray. Father God, we, we thank you for uh, your love for us. And Jesus, we just thank you again for your sacrifice on our behalf. And Lord, we ask you to strengthen us to faithfully gather, to Help us to draw near to you each day, living life in your presence. Lord, not, not being content to live away from you, but just getting as close as we can. And Lord, doing that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, may we hold fast in hope to your promises as we hold fast to each other. And Lord, may we encourage each other as we faithfully faithfully gather and follow you. Lord, we pray these things 
In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. As our ushers begin, uh,